0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: More than three dozen technology companies told the Office of Management and Budget it's time to end the buy versus build debate for software. Three industry groups and 44 technology companies are pressing the White House to make clear to agencies that they should follow the long standing off-the-shelf requirement so they can take more advantage of commercial innovations. Retired Congressman Mac Thornberry is the former chairman of the House Armed Services Committee and now a member of the Silicon Valley Defense Group Advisory Board, which signed the letter. He tells executive editor Jason Miller why these associations and big contractors believe an extra push is needed for agencies to give preference to commercial software.
2: Previously, you would have specific software connected to a specific piece of hardware, and you just had to keep that up but certainly technology and our dependence upon software has changed. At what also has really developed is the innovation in the private sector, where in so many areas, the private sector is ahead of the government. And and so my big fear is that if we don't take advantage of this private sector innovation, we are losing really, I think, our fundamental key advantage in great power competition. It's the innovation of the private sector that we have such an advantage, but if we don't take advantage of it, it's not going to do any good in the national security space, which is is obviously where I focus mostly.
3: We've seen a lot of effort over the last, again, three, five, seven years. A lot of it from when you were on Capitol Hill came from the House Armed Services Committee that you were the chairman of around getting more innovative companies, right? The expansion of other transaction authority. You and I could go down that path of whether that was good or bad. (laughs) We could probably talk quite a bit about that. But there's been this push for innovation. Do you believe that the government is on the right path and this letter is kind of a reminder not to deviate from that path? Because there's some questions about, for instance, how OTA authority is being used or some question about whether the... Biden administration has maybe, it's, it's a good time to, as a reminder to say, we've made this progress, don't let it fall back. Don't, don't take two steps forward and one step back. I think two things.
2: One is, we have done a lot to give government agencies the authorities they need to make these decisions to use commercial dual-use technology. But, but the next step is they've got to implement it. They've got to use those authorities. And so the challenges of culture, the challenges of, well, if we didn't build it, you know, we don't, we're not sure about it. I, I think that has, has to be o- overcome. So, so we've Congress given the authorities, now it's got to be implemented. And, and that's part of the reason I think this letter is directed to OMB, because they can make it clear that commercial preferences apply uh, to software across the government. Second thing, though, I I just mentioned, Jason, is we keep talking about how urgent it is for us to take steps toward dealing with great power competition. So to make that something other than just words, we need action. And I think, to me, that's the bottom line to this letter. It's You can't just give speeches and say it's urgent that we get our act together when it comes to China. we got to do something and 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 part of what you can do is take a ninety percent solution that the commercial sector has developed. Maybe make it better if you need to, but get that now rather than invent a hundred percent solution
3: two years from now. My impression is the government has been buying commercial for years; they are not building as much you know when you talk to chief information officers when you talk to program folks, they don't say, "Oh, I have." 40 developers who are you know, sitting there developing the old GOTS government off the shelf or, or a very specific type of software. So, so is this a DOD problem? Is this a civilian agency problem that you're concerned about? I mean, to me, at least, a lot of agencies are, are definitely making that buy decision before they make the build decision. W- are you seeing something different that's going on behind the scenes or in, in DOD or where? Yeah, I, I, th- I think a lot of it in my mind comes to urgency. It's
2: how quickly we're different agencies are taking advantage of the commercial solutions that are out there. And there are some features to software that are a little different. And I'm, you know, I'm informed by Eric Schmidt and the work that he's done in various commissions and and boards and so forth, where he's really argued the government needs to improve its software expertise. And I'm sure he's right about that. But as it's doing that, because there is so limited expertise in the government, there's a reluctance to take that leap and take something that's commercial if it doesn't, you know, have all the bells and whistles that somebody thinks it needs. So again, I, the way I see this letter is really twofold. It says, this is the requirement, implement it. And secondly, do it now. <laughs> and and I don't think that there is necessarily, I don't send get a sense of resistance from Biden administration as a matter of policy. For example, I think the Deputy Secretary of Defense, Cat Hicks, understands this very well. But but still, to take the authorities and actually
3: implement them and to to do it, that requires a little extra push. So let me play the cynical journalist here for a second. I'll put my hat on. I try not to be a cynical person, but, you know, sometimes it creeps in. So you have a bunch of industry, you have an association that represents a bunch of industry software makers saying, buy more software. There's a little bit of someone who could look from an outsider's perspective and go, well, of course they're saying that. They want the government to buy their stuff. How do you balance that? There's an agenda here versus a true, as you mentioned, the great power competition, staying ahead, kind of getting the best for taxpayer money, all those good government things that come with making good decisions. How do you balance that? Because it's easy for me or someone else to go, wow, this is just industry complaining. Well, let me backtrack for just a second. This may be
2: more than you want to know. But right when McCain and I became chairman of the House and Senate committees, he's the one that really suggested the Silicon Valley Defense Group be developed. It's a nonprofit, and and it tries to bring together government the tech sector, and the investment folks, because if you don't get the money, these companies can't stay in business. So I started dealing with them right at the beginning when, when they were formed, because I believe, as I mentioned, that if we can't take advantage of private sector innovation, and that usual, that often happens with small companies, with companies that aren't used to dealing with DOD, that they'll just go do other things. And, and, and so that's really the impetus, I think. Yeah, there's always people who have something to sell to the government. But on the other hand, there's a lot of these folks that uh, where they're trying to figure out whether the government's worth doing business with or not they have commercial products and they can do very well in the commercial sector but it goes back to to what i mentioned if we don't take advantage in government of this private sector innovation, we are never gonna be able to compete with China or much less have an IRS or a CDC or that would, that we need to, to deal with the country's problems. So I really think it's it's the missions of these agencies that is paramount and we can't make it too hard to do business with the government.
1: Mac Thornberry, former chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, now a member of the Silicon Valley Defense Group Advisory Board, speaking with Federal News Network's Jason Miller. Check out Jason's story at federalnewsnetwork.com.
4: Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama Administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a B.S. from the University of South Carolina and an M.P.A. from Harvard University. Rick, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me.
0: And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the
4: conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style?
0: You know, this past year has clearly presented some unique challenges that certainly me, or I as a leader, have had to adapt. Uh, you think about a pandemic, for example, that has uh, placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is to sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And, and the idea that we don't have the human interaction, uh, which I think is very important when you think about the e- empathy that is a, a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment, chain and be empathetic, and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented a terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America, and certainly within me, uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to be uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions, uh, on those, on others, uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year, uh, to adapt. Uh, but I'm happy to say that, uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward.
4: Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today?
0: You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina, uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bussed across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a little rural school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president Black. Literally, and there was another candidate who ran as vice president, White. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership, and and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision, and overcoming barriers. And and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president. Uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream, which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have, uh, my willingness to, to fight for change. And that was, that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I I will tell you even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the US Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community uh, inspired by that tragedy and now we have a whole broad historic sweeping what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading that that, that, that I was inspired to develop and we're bringing together corporations from across America And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and the the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow,
4: And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. But
0: well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you.
4: I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care.
1: Explore today's must-have trends and innovative styles at Mrs. B's Clearance and Outlet. Shop
0: one-of-a-kind finds in today's must-have trends. Explore wall-to-wall deals, furniture, flooring, mattresses, home accents, seasonal favorites, and more. Discover unique new home decor, pillows, accessories, and more. There's something perfect for your style and budget. There's new inventory every day at up to 80% off suggested retail. Discover the style and savings of the new Mrs. B's Clearance and Outlet. You're finally at that hot new spot, the one your friends keep raving about, sitting across from your date. It's going... Another round? Really well. And that dish you've been dying to try, oh, it's headed your way. You can smell it, hear it sizzling fresh off that skillet as it comes closer, closer, and served. Go ahead, enjoy. After your phone sneaks a bite first. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express, don't live life without it.